Hi, everybody. My name is Miles Ward, and this is Cloud and Clear. I'm the CTO at SADA, and I'm using this platform to unpack what's going on in cloud technology, help us better understand the opportunity for all of SADA's customers and all the work that we do together in the broader partner ecosystem. I am super excited to have with us today Anton Chuvakin, who is uh, an incredible engineer, excuse me, Dr. Anton Chuvakin, who is working on security technology at Google. Anton, say howdy to everybody. Perfect, perfect. Thanks for having me. Ah, I think it is going to be fun. Uh, and thank you again for, for taking time with us today. I've been a real student of Google's security approach for a long time, uh, you know, and I, watching the process of it bringing products and capabilities out to market is just a huge delivery of value from the experience that Google has to the actual needs of customers out in the field. What, what's been your core focus of late? What are you working on? Well, uh, it's been my core focus uh, for a good number of years, dealing with security operations, threat detection, response. So in the past, it used to be just called SIM, and then there's a broader ecosystem of different technologies from EDR to threat intelligence to, of course, other things that populate a typical SOC or a modern SOC. People don't come to this kind of job from from no background. What what got you excited to be working on problems like this? We're, give me some origin story. So an origin story goes way back, and I think it's an origin story for security in general. And uh, maybe I can invent an origin story about how come I gravitated to, say, security operations and not to, say, application security or cryptography. So uh, my first uh, sort of journey in the security was actually in the very late 90s, yes, I know, a while ago, when I dealt with some Linux servers being hacked and helped out, and I sort of started getting excited a lot more about this than about my main discipline at the time, which was physics. So... Years passed by, and uh, one of the first jobs I had was actually at a very early SIM vendor back in 2002. So that kind of set me on the course of dealing more with security operations, detection specifically, a little bit of honeypots and deception, and then things around it. I dealt with data sec, data security like DLP. I dealt with a few things, but I never became interested enough in, say, application security or cryptography or I never got depth into endpoint, except for, of course, for EDR. So that's kind of the journey, how my security career kind of focused around security operations and DNR. They say that you can tell people are truly brilliant when they will tell you the things they don't know much about, at least as much as they tell you about the things that they do know something about. Uh, so I, I appreciate what I expect to be uh, you know, a feisty conversation about the nuance uh, of these tools. The, uh, so you're, you know, I think your, your origin sets you up to be right in, at the precipice of what's complicated for our customers, right? They are watching a real sea change in the way that applications get built. What's felt new in the experience of users in the last couple of years as a result of containerization and sort of new top- topologies for applications? So one thing that uh, I always start this question with is to say that uh, a notable thing about the new things is that they don't replace old things. They get layered on top of old things. So if I think of a quote-unquote typical large enterprise IT, even though there's nothing typical about it, is that many companies go literally from mainframes to containers with everything in between. And the current stack that the security team has to protect, has to monitor, doesn't just include modern stuff, current stuff, some future stuff, but also stuff that goes back to the 70s. So to me, the complexity is that almost nothing disappears. I used to joke with people that no security problem was ever solved. And they keep saying, what about anything to do with digital typewriters or electronic typewriters? And I'm like, you win. I'm just not old enough for this one. So maybe there were some security issues with electronic typewriters. They're solved. I'll give you this one. 
anything else, we kind of still live with this. Like from buffer overflows, they were really cool in the 90s. Every enterprise is this layer cake of every one of their previous investments and all of their, right? You just got to figure out how to slice through the whole thing and, and make an opportunity happen. There's... There's a lot where, you know, as you get this stacking incremental additional complexity that seems never to go down, right? Like, what have you seen as shortcuts for companies? What What's helping them cut through that mess? So I don't want to sound like I'm going to produce a bunch of cliches, but like when I say when I, when I say automation, people say, oh yeah, automation, we have that, or we will have that. And in reality, automation in a very fragile, very classic layered cake environment is super difficult because automation means things get broken. So when you talk to somebody from, well, Google or another modern company, uh, they would definitely extol the benefits of automation, but then you realize they live in a lot of modern realities and not in legacy environments. So to me, I still give this kind of a, a caveated vote for automation. And uh, But I always kind of say, this may be a bit of a journey. Even people who bought, say, uh, what is now known as a SOAR product, security operation automation response products, they expect automation to happen because they bought it. But in reality, they start on a particular path to automation journey. That's all the product does. It anchors them to a particular path. So to me, we will have to automate. Humans don't scale fast enough. There's more stuff to protect. People sometimes obsess about having too many threats. To me, it's more important that you have more stuff to secure rather than more threats. Threats would grow, that's a given, but the stuff we have to secure grows much faster than we can get people on board. So automation is kind of the answer. Of course, outsourcing is the other answer, but ultimately outsourcer would have to face some of the same challenges, right? So there's no magic. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Do you think uh, the autonomous security operations, that whole system, is that one of the building blocks in the solution? To me, the autonomic security operations approach that we are starting to develop into a more of a usable, deployable, and and, and like operationalizable, to use a long word, approach is definitely one answer to how to deal with the fact that threats increase, assets increase, and people don't really increase. Yet naive approaches to automation don't just magically work. So to me, a lot of the ideas in ASAW came from studying how IT was transformed by DevOps and SRE at Google. Of course, uh, people make all sorts of joke about SRE just being a Google brand of DevOps, but still, I'm talking about modern IT approaches. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked with an incredible number of DevOps teams and they are not like SRE teams, so it's it's useful to see the difference for sure. So here, yes, here I'm kind of using them together to kind of like label modern approaches to IT management. It sounds kind of boring, even though SRE and DevOps is exciting. We wanted to use some of the ideas from that and kind of transplant them into a SOC. It worked for IT. We don't talk about like one admin for 10 servers anymore, like whatever was the number in like 1994 or whatever. We we don't want one analyst per 10 alerts in a SOC. We we, we can't live with that. So we are, we are using to learn some of the lessons from that transformation, transplant them to security, infuse them with some ideas that Google has learned while transforming our detection response teams on a similar journey. So we have to deal with a lot of scale. We do have a lot of good people. We have a lot of really good people, but we probably still have more IT and more threats than we have people. So we have to live with that and we have to be secure enough to our, to our standards. So the idea is that we learn some lessons and IT, while being transformed, learn some lessons. So to me, we're trying to condense this into the deployable framework like ASO. That's kind of a maybe a little hand wavy, but still um, a good way to present it. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think it's hand wavy at all. I mean, it's Doug Cutting's quote from the Hadoop team where he says Google's living in the future and just sort of sending us messages back. The the level of security attack that all of Alphabet's properties are under continuously by at nation state level is so absurd in comparison to what a tiny modern startup is experiencing at the beginnings of their journey. Anything that you tell them about what the future looks like is is probably pretty meaningful and pretty useful. So yeah, there's one caveat because sometimes in the past when we presented to customers about how we've done something awesome in security they would tell us, but we're not Google. Can they hire 850 best of the best of the best of the best people to do X? Uh, no. Okay, so then what if our success, what if, if our success is reliant on having the numbers and the quality of people? Then we can't really give this advice. Well, we can give advice, but they can't use it. So to me, the zero trust example is, is one example where it did take Google a lot of years and a lot of hard work to build the what we call what externally is called Beyond Corp, uh, but it's ultimately zero trust type of access technology, right? We use it, we build it, but we can't just give it to you and say, hey, use it. We had to productize it. And it was also a journey to make it into a product. Ultimately, it's similar to the tech we used, but even for us, it took a while. So to me, some of the Google lessons are needs to be condensed and refocused before they're applicable to clients. And ASO is also that it's not just like, here's how we do DNR, just use it the same way. That wouldn't work. At least some of my kind of analyst brain, of course, you probably know that I worked for Gartner for eight years. I had to apply some of this knowledge to figure out how Google lessons apply to customer environments, how we can make them kind of deployable or implementable. Yeah, I mean, I wrote, uh, Eric Schmidt asked me to write the short list of the recommendations that I would make to any company he talked to. And one of those items was turn your VPNs off and read the Beyond Corp paper, right? And, and a bunch of people did that and it worked great. 2013, right? Or something like it was good advice in 2013. We are in 2021. People are starting to do that. Right. It's, it's slowly but surely it's starting <laughs> to stick, right? And, you know, I, I think there is a lot where, you know, businesses recognize that especially as they're, you know, taking on remote work, dealing with an immensely different sort of workforce structure, they have a whole bunch of junior people coming into the organization that, you know, it's not just automation, it's just sort of removing knobs, right? Making it so that there are just less options for their users to manipulate. For for the tools that, that are being used in the security operations discipline, right? It feels to me like there there is this crossover from from the security software development discipline over in like I'm seeing stuff in observability as kind of a, now a component of the security issue at the same time. Help help me understand like if there's if there's a you know is there a good checklist? Is there a whole set of stuff that I should deploy as a as a new user of these platforms? Is is there a best practice that's already been published? Um, when we talked about tools, of course, we are being somewhat self-serving by pointing out that Chronicle and other tools that we built, uh, either for our own use or for, for customers. Uh, to me, some of the things that are become critical is that I don't want people to uh, buy tools and then learn that they scale. The problem is that some tools scale, but your wallet doesn't. Like pretty much anybody can write a tech uh, to deploy it in public cloud, and then it would scale just because public cloud scales. Ours does, and our competitors does too. But to me, many of the companies and startups and, and, and larger companies who built something modern, deployed it in public cloud, then ultimately shoved customers a big bill that, that is split between them and a the cloud provider. To me, some of the things that we have to deliver is tools that scale without breaking their wallet. 
Chronicle is definitely an example of a tool that scales immensely without breaking your wallet because it, we don't charge per gigabyte, we don't charge per event, we charge per, per employee. So to me, when we talk about scaling, we don't just say, hey, buy a tool, deploy, put petabytes of data in there and then either have slow search or have a million dollar bill. For Chronicle, you get neither. You get fast search and no bill. Well, no large bill. So to me, this is part of the transformation because to, to, to sort of 10x the SOC, that we, what, what we say in the ASO paper, you do have to 10x productivity. You do have to kind of one-tenth <laughs> the speed of response, ideally more than that. Because in my early days with SIM, as I pointed out in the beginning when people use relational databases, there were some queries where you go take coffee break, there were queries where you take a lunch, and there were queries where you take a vacation. With Chronicle, a lot of searches take a quarter of a second, and you don't get UI renders slower than the search. So to me, some of the stuff is absolutely a must for transformation. We can't just buy a tool that was built for an on-premise era, put it in the cloud, and say, there. Right. I mean, like, so I sat on the technical due diligence team for bringing Redshift into AWS. That is literally an on-premise technology that we brought into the cloud in an attempt to have some path for a rational data warehouse. As I came on board to Google, it was like, oh, this big query thing, it's like betterer. So the the work that you're doing to extend that storage topology and that, frankly, like pricing and performance model into the security space, you have this there's, that takes this one level step up. Like now I've tuned BigQuery and the storage infrastructure and networking infrastructure on the Google side more narrowly for the security use case and gotten to a pricing model that makes sense in security. I, I know that there's other tools that are required to kind of get to the end user experience that most folks want. Like how, how far do people have to go before you get like, a, you know, kind of a one-stop purchase and now they've got the security tooling that they're going to need in a, in a modern environment? That's a separate question from how do they deal with the legacy of their existing systems. I would say that the the one-stop shop or it wouldn't it probably wouldn't be one tool. Frankly, security is full of people who promise single pane of glass or a completely integrated suite, and you can go back 10 years, 20 years, I don't know about 30 years, but maybe where people promised that and never delivered. So to me, it's not so much about like one tool. To me, it's more about coherent experience for an analyst, for for an engineer, for a SOC manager. So to me, Chronicle has to be coupled with some workflow system as of today. You have to have a SOAR or something of that sort to organize your, your people work, to organize humans work, to organize some of the machine work and enrichment. So to me, it's not a one stop as in one vendor, one bill, but it is a lot more of an integrated experience because to me, that's a more worthwhile and more realistic goal. Yeah. So I, I know that our practice together, as you've taken Chronicle out to market now, and as you're building ASO, like what's been the experience of working with SADA engineers? Is that, is that effective? You think that helps customers out? To, to me, even with ASO, like the paper and kind of guidance, there would be a lot of customers that actually want this done for them. Like we gave somebody kind of a blueprint and some framework and some vision and some advice, but ultimately there would be enough clients who say, I agree with your vision. Now you come and do it. Like, frankly, we won't come and do it. We are not really equipped to come and do it. You are. <laughs> so so in that sense, uh, we, we do need uh, SADA to kind of build this on site for clients following your ideas and our ideas. To me, that's quite central because even back in the Gartner days, I've I would give somebody advice and it's like pretty crisp, pretty actionable advice that goes down to technology and people say, I agree with you. Can you find somebody who do it for us? 
And I'm like, here's the 10 page paper that kind of explains the steps. And they're like, we agree, we need somebody to come and do it. So this is a reality and it's a reality at many, many organizations. So to me, this is the role that somebody must play and somebody must know what we mean, how to work with us and where the customers are. And that's that's a critical spot. Yeah, we... I mean, I think that's that's an increasingly critical issue given the kind of labor market and the talent constraints that exist. If the value of technical systems keeps going up, you look at the the you know trading multiples for SaaS businesses today are literally vertical. So if if one of those businesses and every single one of them has to needs needs this capability and security, and they can't find people just like everybody else can't find people. It's It's been a real focus for us to fill that gap in these engagements. How, how did you, like, did you have other options? Did, is Sada the one that you picked at first because we're fun? Or, or how did that come about? Uh, I mean, I don't think we'll ever be a one partner shop because of course there are regions, right? Google is global. And uh, uh, even though in Europe, there are some people who are kind of still cloud hesitant. It sounds like such a 2013 problem to have, but 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 they are. And so there would be partners, the providers who deliver similar value in other regions. And there are other type of challenges where they need to be solved for the regional or for the vertical business. I mean, I used to, in my Gartner days, I used to joke that some MSSPs may be doing a really good job, but they only serve healthcare providers in Belgium. That's That's their market. And that's all they do. So there is a lot of regionalization in this type of a services business. So I, I don't, that's why I, I feel like we would have more partners. Of course, uh, we have few partners who share our vision and can work with us closely on developing this stuff. Well, I've really appreciated the collaboration. I think our teams are really motivated by the step change in capability for customers because of the difference in model for these products. I think Google is really empathizing with the position of our customers who, who need these capabilities, who need to stay safe as they operate. I think it's one of the biggest externalizations of value that the platform is doing writ large, right? I mean, it's an unbelievable shift of capacity. There's still a journey for many clients, like even back to Zero Trust and Beyond Corp from, from the land of security operations. Even that one, like we productized BC to, to Beyond Corp Enterprise. There's a product, you can buy it. But even that, adopting this is not a 10-minute affair. I mean, you have to connect things, you have to change things, you're, you're re-engineering things. So to me, this is kind of highly amenable to have a quality services partner who knows the Beyond Corp vision, who shares the Zero Trust vision, who knows the clients. To me, I've seen a lot of SOC work where the partner is critical, but I've also seen a lot of Zero Trust work where the partner is really critical. Yeah, we. I think we started in in earnest with identity aware proxy. That was a, a total no brainer for us. So I, I appreciate you continuing to deliver no brainer products to us to bring out to customers. Thank you. Thank you for that. We're, it helps us a lot. We're just really bullish. So I appreciate you taking the cycles with us. Any any last bits that you want to share with our audience? Uh, one thing is that to point out is that a lot of people do cloud the on premise way. And sometimes, again, back to my Gartner days, I was kind of agonizing whether to help the client in the frame that he insists on using. Cloud is just somebody else's computer. It's really not the truth at all, but there are clients who believe that and you have to help them as if cloud is just a rented data center. What do you do? Do you go and tell them, dude, you're wrong. That's just not how you do it. Or do you go into their frame and live there for a while and then transform. This is a tough one. I still don't know how to do it. I want to yell at people who want to do rented VMs in the cloud and then and then pretend that they do cloud. 
But to me, this is a really hard one. And I wish we had some kind of a magic answer to like, hey, become a cloud native. Well, if you're not a cloud native, you're a what? A cloud tourist? So how do we help cloud tourists to become more like cloud natives is a really tough problem. And I'm happy that you're helping us solve it. They have to become immigrants and then citizens, right? Like there's, they're, they're, right? Like, so we've been, we've been doing a lot of work in that space. It's kind of the core of what SADA does. I, uh, I, I wrote into this little speech, uh, we need to meet customers where they are and take them to what's next. So that's been the, the core of SADA's mission since I got here. And uh, I'm just really excited to be partnering together with you on it in this very convoluted and awesome area. It's just a critical, critical place where we can help. Anton, thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.